This episode of the Campaign Podcast is brought to you by Critio. The future is an open internet where discovering your brand is a positive experience. Made possible by Commerce Media. Learn more at critio.com forward slash future. Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. There have been two big reveals in Adland over the past week. Super Bowl ads and, of course, Campaign's Global New Biz Review. Today, we're going to take a look at both. I'm sure many of you listening will realise that new business wins are regarded by many as important measures of success, even though the pitching process is considered by some as the bane of agency life and a major cause of stretched and burnt-out teams. Just over a year ago, Campaign, in partnership with the consultancy R3, launched a new data product called Campaign AI that tracks client wins across the EU, and this week we've analysed some of the major new business trends of 2021. To make sense of all the data, I'm joined by Campaign's Editor-in-Chief Gideon Spanier and Intelligence Editor Jyoti Rambai to go through some of the headline findings. Also joining the panel are special guests, R3 founder and principal Greg Paul and Habas Creative Global CMO Tracy Barber. Welcome to you all. Uh, Now, Greg and Tracy have not just joined the campaign podcast to make sense of all the newbies, winners and losers, but we will be sticking around to let us know which Super Bowl ads they believe scored touchdowns. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But to begin with, let's kick off with Campaign AI. Uh, Now, Gideon, you helped launch this product uh, a year ago. Can you give give our listeners a bit of a rundown um, in terms of what it is and why it's useful? Hi, Arvind. So Campaign AI stands for advertising intelligence and as you've outlined it's a data tracker and we created it with r3 worldwide and at its core it's about um, tracking account wins and retentions in creative media and across holding companies and we've also got data on account moves in each industry sector so things like fmcg automotive we've got data on the winners of key industry awards as well and you should think of campaign ai as a visual product so as well as the new business tables they're infographics and you can create and manipulate them if you want to see the volume of reviews say in 2021 versus 2020 and we're going to keep adding new data Uh, things like financial results, other metrics. So it's a brilliant product. You can see which companies are performing well or not and which industry sectors are most active. And I'll just uh, give a quick plug and say, if you want to find out more or get a demo from the campaign team, go to the campaign homepage, click on subscribe or just campaignlive.co.uk slash membership. Thanks very much, Gideon. Uh, Jyoti, you're responsible for taking the data um, from R3, interrogating it and publishing it in the campaign AI tool. What are some of the key new biz headlines for 2021? Yes, so WPP at the holding company level occupied the top spot in both the creative and media global new business tables at the end of 2021. The biggest win for them was the $4 billion Coca-Cola account last year. The brand consolidated its media and creative account with them. In the Media League, Mediacom came came in first, Mindshare was second and Wavemaker was third. On the creative side, WPP came in top with Havas Worldwide second and VMLYNR was third. Havas Worldwide topped the creative Europe and UK new business tables at the end of 2021. It had one of the highest number of wins, 294 accounts according to the data we have from R3. 
WPP came in second in Europe and MNC Saatchi Group was third. On the media side, OMD was top of the tables in Europe with Wavemaker second. The two agencies had been battling for the top spot for the best part of 2021. Between them, they had more than 300 account wins. And third in the media table was Mediacom. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Jyoti. And we're going to speak to Tracy about some of the success that Havas Creative has enjoyed in the past year. But to begin with, Greg, now you're joining us from the US. Is it New York where you are at the moment? Yes, I am. Uh, just to let our listeners know, it is rather early over there, so I hope you've had plenty of caffeine, uh, Greg. Uh, now, I would like you to sort of unpack the data um, and what it means for the market. What are some of the key trends that you've observed? Yeah, look, it was quite a year uh, for new business. There were 58% more pitches this year, um, but only 9% more revenue. And I think that just sends the message to agencies that, you know, it's it's becoming uh, a fight for uh, smaller and smaller pieces of individual business. That's a, a challenge for our agency's work. Marketers are increasingly looking at project-based uh, uh, assignments, and that's always a challenge for agencies that are quite used to this traditional AOR structure. So they're having to to pivot a little bit in order to be able to cope with the, the way clients want to buy uh, their services. Can I just ask in terms of that that trend of it becoming a bit more project-based, are you noticing that a bit more on the creative side versus the media side or is that across the board? Yeah, it's definitely happening more, more on creative than media. And if, in fact, if you looked at the top 10 wins for last year, nine of them were global for media. Only four of them were global for creative. And that, that's been a consistent trend that uh, creative tends to be more piecemeal, Clients are always looking for the best creativity they can, and, and as a result, they're, they're more and more looking at project-based work. Do you get a sense from clients why they're, they're pushing more towards project versus retainer? I think they're always they're just, uh, they have this unhappy dissatisfaction with creative product. Uh, you know, uh, that's the beauty of marketing. Unlike uh, surgery or the law, everybody has a point of view, uh, which we'll get to in the Super Bowl in a minute. But uh, I think because of that... Uh, you know, marketing teams are always looking to, to get fresh thinking and fresh ideas from their, you know, from their agencies. You know, our philosophy is much more about marriage guidance counseling than divorce lawyers. And I think, you know, within agency holding groups and agencies, there's plenty of talent that can tap you tap into for, for ideas. So, you know, we would urge marketers look inside your, your current agency partner more deeply first. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, now, one agency that many would argue isn't isn't having this whole dissatisfaction problem would be have as creative uh tracy you had a lot of new business wins in the past year what was the recipe for your success do you think i think i mean pitching is an interesting process um, but it's also about passion and determination um, and i think what we have focused on very very clearly is is about being the best at new business and that is about creativity and it's about understanding what the right pitches are to accept and which are the ones to decline. So I measure declines as much as I measure successes and acceptances. Um, because I think what's so important is about getting the right partnership. I mean, Greg made that really interesting point about look inside your existing client relationships, think about the relationship that you have between agency and client. And we've focused very much on driving that capability forward, making the right partnerships, understanding what clients need. Um, and as a consequence, I have to say, you know, we've had a phenomenal year. We had um, a 31% increase in pitch opportunities in 2021. I mean, it was it was staggering. 
It's an interesting point you say about declining a lot more pitches. That that seems to be quite a common theme. But but you know, if, if I'm going to play the devil's advocate here, you won the most, so you must be accepting quite a lot as well. Yeah, but again, it's about the right ones. I mean, the reason why our conversion rates are so high is because we're understanding um, and interrogating what the client wants. You know, we're thinking very hard about you know how we develop the relationship as we go through the pitch process. We've got an equal number of um, opportunities that actually we haven't won through pitches. We've actually changed the conversation. I mean, Rivita was a really interesting one here in the UK where they came to us. It was initially going to go through a pitch. We had the right conversations around how to manage uh, the response that they were looking for and won it through um, the relationship development rather than going through an active pitch process. And I think it's just been very clear about how you develop that with the client and brands, intermediaries, and us as agencies um, being a little bit more robust and less complacent about what we want and how we want to manage it. Uh, Greg, are agencies declining a lot more pitches? And are you noticing that there are a lot of business that's not going to market because they're trying to sort things out internally and develop those relationships organically? Yeah, I would say that that's never been more prevalent than it has been through COVID. I think, you know, through COVID, a lot of agencies have tightened up their, their headcount. Uh, they've, you know, they've tried to uh, manage their costs as best as they can. And then suddenly all these new business opportunities arrive. They need to manage them very sensitively and carefully. So I think, yeah, we, you know, we're delighted, not delighted, but we're, you know, we're accepting of the fact that agencies reject, uh, pitches because it means they've, they've focused on their current clients. And I think that's kind of the, the challenge is to, to find that happy medium. Greg, you made an interesting point earlier about a lot of brands um, doing project-based jobs with clients. Can I just ask, um, there are also many brands that have been consolidating their accounts last year. Google was one, Facebook and Meta, Coca-Cola. Do you think this is a trend we could see more and more of going forward? And if so, why? Yeah, look, I think the industry will look back in five years at the Coca-Cola win in a, in a bit more detail. I think we kind of just, you know, in our typical way, we looked at it for a few days and moved on. But it's a very historic m- moment to take 400 agency relationships and consolidate that down to consolidate down to effectively one. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons they did this was interesting. It wasn't so much about just consolidation. It was about data. Uh, when you've got 400 agencies doing their own campaigns and their own measurement and their own structure – you're not going to get a good data structure underneath that. And I think what Coke decided to do was data was almost more important than than any other decision in the process. And uh, I think there'll be a, a message there to other uh, marketers that consolidation can, can play an important role. Another question for you, both of you. When we think about what's happening in your business, I'm struck that there's a lot going on which is beyond creative and media. And I wondered how do you track that and perhaps even, how does campaign do a better job of it? Well, yeah, that's a great question, Gideon. I mean, we you, you'll notice that I think four of the top 10 agencies in our league are digital agencies, people like Code and Theory and RGA and Huge. Uh, and they're doing very diversified services. So, uh, you know, even Havas within their group have got a lot of diversified services. We track it as best we can and label it as best we can. But increasingly, yeah, marketers are coming to agencies for, for much more than just advertising and media. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that's a really interesting point because if I think about our business over the last year, uh, 18 months, so we've launched two new um, verticals in terms of capabilities, the Havas CX network and um, also our Havas Studios proposition. 
And if I look at the types of businesses uh, and clients we're winning, there is increasingly that CX digital piece, which has been, again, it has, it has been phenomenal in terms of the success and the wins that we've achieved through that network, um, but also the consultancy. So um, management consultancy, business transformation, thinking differently about the way um, that businesses require services from the broader agency capabilities has been key to what we do. And Gate One, which is one of our agencies here in the UK, has been our fastest growing business in 2021. Um, which again, I think, you know, Gideon, when you're thinking about how you track that and deliver that information back to the market, how we can differentiate between creative in the purest sense and creative success, but also the additional capabilities and services that agencies deliver would be really useful information to have. Okay, thanks for that, Tracy. I just wanted to sort of uh, focus a little bit more on the pitch process itself. We've run some articles recently where this has been challenged. Some have said that it's broken. Others have said it's just in need of a bit of reform. I wanted to get both of your takes on this. Uh, Greg, what do you think about the printing process as it as it stands? And, and where do you see it evolving in the future? Well, I have to go to uh, Winston Churchill, who said that uh, democracy is the worst possible form of government apart from all the others. And, you know, I, I kind of feel that way with the pitch process too. Uh, you know, I think there's lots of areas for improvement, but it's kind of the reality we have right now. Um, you know, we've run a few pitches where the, the final round of the of the pitch is a chemistry session uh, because in the end, you're, you're hiring people and talent. You can already see from case studies their capabilities. The fact that they can spend, you know, two weeks or three weeks running off to make a campaign example for you, you know, shouldn't be the decision-making process. So, you know, it does need to be relooked at, uh, and for both client and agency. And I think you know we're all open to ideas. Okay, Tracy, let's get your feedback on this. I know a lot of agency leaders that I speak to complain about some of the processes, how drawn out they are, and how resource intensive they are. Uh, some have suggested that it's causing their teams to burn out. Um, it's causing unnecessary stress, and in severe cases, it's causing people to actually leave the industry. What is your view on the process as it is, and and where do you see areas where it could be improved? So I think, um, I think it depends who's managing and running the pitch process. So we have seen consultants and intermediaries like R3, um, have a very professional and focused approach to the way that they manage the pitch. So it isn't, um, as time intensive. It isn't as unnecessary as how it may be, uh, if you maybe get a pitch direct in or it's managed by a different type of service. So I think when you get a pitch that's managed through uh, an intermediary, there is uh, more innovation, there's less complacency, there's more respect for both the agency and the brand in terms of the way that's operated. One of the really interesting trends during 2021, which I think is going to continue into 2022, is the role of procurement and the way that procurement are involved in the pitch process and what they want out of the agency relationship. And I think that's shaking up uh, the way that we respond and the way that clients are looking to differentiate. So I'm talking about, you know, the focus on uh, sustainability and what that means and what they expect agencies to deliver as a consequence. A focus on talent, because going back to your point about a process creating burnout, you know, one of the things that I'm really focused on alongside obviously winning is making sure that uh, from a internal perspective, our culture is positive, upbeat and 
and our scores in terms of staff satisfaction are right up there because there's absolutely no point, as you say, you know, winning a pitch with a burnt out team who then leave the industry, you know, it's that vicious cycle and nobody wins. So, you know, I think it is about looking at the intermediaries. It's about thinking about the role of procurement and it's making sure that we as agencies are ruthless about protecting uh, the health and well-being of our staff. Greg, I just want to get your views as well on what Tracy just said. And also maybe if you could just give us one trend in, in terms of new business and, and pitching that you think will happen um, in 2022. Uh, yeah, look, I totally agree with what she said. I think that the, the biggest trend for 2022 is going to be around DE&I. I think it's something that a lot of companies have taken internally as a critical factor. We now have it as at least 10 or 15% of every pitch we run in terms of criteria. And I think just the whole aspect of how are you going to treat diversity, you know, and et cetera, is going to be very critical going forward um, to show that agencies actually can make a difference. Um, you know, one other thing on a pitch, we did something really cool last year. We decided to give an agency for a global pitch 24 hours to put their submission in, which sounds absolutely terrible. Uh, we briefed them, uh, you know, they knew it was coming, um, and they had 20, four agencies each had 24 hours each. But, you know, instead of spending 24 days of resources running around the world to get work done, they did it in 24 hours. And it gave, you know, it gave the client a good insight into what this team as a global team can do in a hurry. So I think just being creative with the pitch process to reduce, you know, the agency time and, uh, and pressure is going to be helpful. I've got a quick question, which is, in terms of volume of pitching that you're seeing in 22, I felt like last year there was a lot which was delayed because of COVID. I've heard some people saying the volume is going to be down this year. It's not going to be such a crazy year. I wondered, what do you see in the pipeline? Yeah, it's a good question, Gideon. I think the the, the spend may well be down because when you look at Coca-Cola, Unilever, Facebook, these are some huge spenders uh, and we don't have a lot more of those. So, um that's potential, but I do think, as, as, as Tracy mentioned too, there's, there's going to be more and more areas clients need help. They might need to find a TikTok agency. They might need to find a, you know, a, a who knows what agency, NFT agency. So there's going to be a lot more diversity, I think, in terms of what clients are looking for. Yeah, and I come in on that. I mean, I, just uh, year to date in the UK, we've had 29 wins year to date, um, and I'm seeing a huge amount of opportunity, particularly from a media perspective, coming into the business. Um, there doesn't seem to have been a slowdown. And I think it is about, but the, but the types of opportunities that are coming in are incredibly varied. So they range from CX to PR to employee engagement through to creative. And I think that builds on your point, Greg, in terms of the broader ask from clients and the way they're thinking about um, accessing capabilities at the moment. Fantastic. Thank you, Tracy. And if anybody would like to keep tracking new business wins, please do check out our campaign AI tool. Uh, thank you, Gideon and Jyoti, for joining us. Uh, Tracy and Greg, you're going to stick around to talk Super Bowl ads in a moment. Sunday's Super Bowl will go down as a classic, with the LA Rams pipping the Cincinnati Bengals at the death. But let's be honest, it's really the ads that we are all here for. And there were some absolute rippers, ones that were genuinely funny and others that perhaps fell a little bit flat. 
quite a few crypto plays here among the mix and a lot of humour. Let's be honest, there were some drab efforts during the pandemic and this year it felt like a much bigger splash from a lot of the big brands and some new players. Greg, did you manage to watch the Super Bowl live over there? Yeah, I did, Arvin, and I think you have this unusual uh, thing where you know, normally you're grabbing your phone during the advertising of most television, but in this case, you're doing the opposite. You're focusing on it and, and really watching it and enjoying it. So uh, it was a, a unique experience. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our listeners are sort of based in, in the UK and, and, and elsewhere. Give them a bit of an, a rundown in terms of how it is as, as a spectacle to watch, because I understand, unlike normal games, which have carried quite a bit of advertising, the Super Bowl is quite a unique beast. There is a lot of advertising. Well, there were 66 ads. Some of them were uh, more than 30 seconds long. And uh, But, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you're used to sort of switching off and, and doing something else during the ads, going to the restroom. But in this case... Uh, uh, you need to go to the restroom during the game. <laughs> That's a really, really interesting insight. Uh, what was your overall take in terms of the ads that you saw? Just a general overall impression. Yeah, look, I think overall I was very impressed. I think, you know, the the, the bar is consistently getting higher and higher every year. I think if you look back, uh, you know, you've probably got uh, 20 or 30 ads that could well be considered uh, excellent and outstanding. So, and I think, you know, typically we'll see five or six or ten. So, you know, for me, the the creativity is really coming through. Okay, Tracy, what were your thoughts about the ads this year? How many did you get to see? So what's really interesting is um, we have a WhatsApp group with the uh, new business new business people, but also the creatives across uh, the UK and the US as the key focus. So with Dan Lucy and Myra Nussbaum in, in uh, North America. And if you could have seen the debate going backwards and forwards on that WhatsApp group about the ads that were coming up and what we liked and what we didn't like and what worked and what didn't. And I think what was really fascinating was that it's, it was very much wall to wall celebrity. So again and again, you saw that almost people, people wanting to laugh again, people wanted to escape, but people very much utilizing that celebrity culture to endorse and to play around with the, the work and the concepts. I mean, the, um, the Barbie ad as an example for Rocket Homes, which I think wasn't that voted the most popular ad out of any of the Super Bowl ads this year. It may well have been. Um, it's uh, it's one we're going to discuss in a few minutes. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask both of you as well. If you look at the tone, if you look at the scale of the ads and the ambition of the ads this year, what does it sort of say about brands and marketing in general compared to maybe last year and the year before and, and recent years? Well, I, I hate to use the word post-COVID, but you do get the sense that uh, you know there's a, a lot of optimism uh, in, in a lot of the work, which was which was very interesting. I think it's very different to the sort of work you'd see 18 months ago about, you know, being together and keeping safe and so on. I think you're absolutely right, Greg. I think it's, I think it was that genuine opportunity that people felt that we were coming out and we are coming out of COVID. And it was an opportunity to celebrate that possibility. Right, let's get down to business and talk about some of the spots that we noticed most. I'd like to start off with the Amazon Alexa Mind Reader ad by Lucky Generals. The spot had a brilliant comedic interplay between power couple Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost. Alexa reveals their sweet little lies as they go about life, including morning breath, kissing scenes, homemade dinners and more. Have a listen to this. What about the gold, Papa? Can't you see... The treasure all along. It was you. Love the eye patch. It's 
When does the show open? March 8th. Setting reminder to fake your own death on March 8th. Now, Tracy and Greg, I loved the premise of this. And if Jim Carrey wants to make another Liar Liar film, I'd get straight on the phone to Amazon to see if they can cast Alexa. It's also been viewed many millions of times. Aside from TV and the Super Bowl itself, um, it has already racked up 65 million views on YouTube. Tracy, what were your impressions of this ad? So it's really interesting. I mean, I actually think there was so much celebrity fueled humour that On any other occasion, in any other environment, this ad would have been incredibly buzzworthy. Unfortunately for me, it fell into another celebrity ad uh, and lost the appeal as a consequence, particularly given, you know, the amount of content and advertising that there are at play here. You have to really do something different to differentiate. And I'm not sure that achieved it. Okay, Greg, was this a matter of being, you know, drowned out in a sea of celebrities? Yeah, I'm going to have to join Tracy in this one a little bit. I think, um, you know, the world's largest advertiser, Amazon, um, can do a little better. It, it felt to me like a Saturday Night Live sketch that hadn't been crafted enough. And I think they could have probably taken the idea a little bit further. It's a great idea and a great premise. I just think they kind of rushed the output a little bit. Crypto brands is one of the things that was definitely noticeable this year. I think there was at least four of them, possibly more, um, in the mix. Coinbase, that was the ad that probably got the most attention. Um, It was the one where there was a QR code um, on a black screen, changing colours, and it was sort of moving around the screen for about 60 minutes, sorry, for about 60 seconds. 60 minutes would have been quite unbearable. Um, Pretty much, uh, you know, like that famous DVD logo that Gen Xers will remember as kids. There was some slightly hypnotic music um, in the background. I'm pretty sure this ad was um, created by Accenture Interactive, um, and, you know, it's received a lot of hype. Uh, Tracy, what, what's your view on the Coinbase ad and the hype that sort of surrounds it? So what was interesting is when we when we were debating this, it was the one one ad that actually made us question our own taste in many ways because it stood out. It was the one that got talked about. It was genuinely the one that made people go quiet and go, "Am I really looking at a QR code bouncing around uh, the you know the page and thinking this is what I want to do something as a consequence?" And actually, I think. It was partly because people were a little bit starved for something less familiar, different, and were going to take the QR code and go to the landing page. Unfortunately, I believe it crashed, which uh, goes back to let's make sure the customer experience works uh, because of the volume of people who were using the QR code. But a really interesting take for the night. Yeah, I mean, when, when I read about it crashing, um, you know... I- the, the cynical journalist in me thought maybe this is part of the plan but but you know maybe it's not greg what were your thoughts about this one well you know you're talking about the ad that came last in the usa today poll amongst consumers and first in the in the clio poll amongst the advertising industry uh i definitely i definitely gave it my top spot because when you watched it live you literally woke up and, and thought what the heck is this the you know the app went from 184th in the app store to second. Wow, there are a lot of apps in the app store. Um, so you know by any measure of success, uh, and I also agree with you, Arvind. The, the crashing may have been a little bit of PR as much as anything else, but by any measure of success, this was a uh, amazing uh, execution. 
It's a really interesting point that you raise about how, you know, the effectiveness of this ad, probably for what it was designed to do, uh, probably will will outweigh all the other ones, the the much bigger budgeted ones with celebrities here and there. Uh, What what do you think this says about the advertising industry in general, Tracy? Do you think sometimes Adland can be a little bit too clever for itself? Um, I think it on occasions, but I think, you know, we are a creative industry. And actually, Mm. you know, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that creative creativity is our fuel you know it's what i came into the industry for i love it and i think the more debate we have about what creativity means the more parameters we push the more we think differently the better we will be as a consequence and i'm hoping you know you know when i look at the way we judge awards etc and the awards that we win i want more and i want more debate and i want creativity to be front and center Okay, fantastic. On that note, Tracy, what was your favourite ad amongst the among the ones that you saw? I'm going to reveal potentially my age, but also my viewing habits, uh, because for me, it was the Sopranos ad. So I don't know whether you both saw the Chevy Silverado ad, which started off, it was a 60, 60 second, and it started off with absolutely replicating the Sopranos opening shot, literally shot by shot, with instead of Tony driving the car it was his daughter Meadow driving the car um, and then plotted all the way through and all I could think through was does that mean Meadow and AJ were not killed um, is the other going to come back what's going to happen and it led me to talk about it uh, the potential for the Soprano story uh, more than anything else and that gave it longevity so it became what's going to happen does this mean are Sopranos coming back what's isn't that cute isn't it clever the way the cars interacted so for me it was definitely that one for the night the first ever all-electric chevy silverado a whole new truck for a whole new generation Do you know who was behind that? Which which agency worked on it? Yeah, it was McCann Erickson in Detroit. Greg, which one was your favourite? Which one did your pick amongst a lot? Well, I hate to say Coinbase because it was just such a wake up call, but that that's definitely was my favourite. But I think also the the Doctor Evil GM spot was was fantastic as well. Ladies and gentlemen, our takeover of General Motors is complete. Dr. Evil, we can now use GM's Ultium platform to power our whole operation. Now we can reduce tailpipe emissions. I'm sorry, am I no longer Dr. Evil? I'm Dr. Good now? I didn't get the meme out. Climate change is arguably the number one threat to the world now. Dr. Evil. I have to say, that was one of my personal favourites as well. It was done by McCann Detroit. Uh, and I thought it was a really humorous way of selling GM's new Ultiman platform, which is its electric vehicle battery system, um, by convincing Dr. Evil to save the world so that he could conquer it. Uh, what did you like about it specifically, Greg? <laughs> I actually felt it was one of the ads that wasn't necessarily scripted by admin but was scripted by hollywood so it looked like uh you know it was very authentic to the original show there's a two and a half minute version as well which is even more in depth and and covers uh more ground but it was just uh you know it felt like you were back in the movies again i wouldn't be surprised to see another fourth movie now come out of it based on the result of that ad (laughs) that would be quite fascinating wouldn't it now tracy before um this podcast we did discuss another ad that you liked and that was a rocket homes barbie dream house spot by high dive barbie really wants this dream house it's got stunning views and a slide barbie's ready for fun so cool and barbie found out about this dream house with an alert from rocket homes she did 
Well, it's a super competitive market. Everyone wants to buy the dream house. Better off for Betty. I'll go 10 over asking. Cash off for Carl. Straight cash. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on this one and why you liked it? I'm not sure I did like it, but I thought it was very noticeable. And I think what was interesting about that, that was the sort of the Anna Kendrick doing her usual, uh, you know, prevalence and personality. But what she did, what they did again, and I think Rocket Homes have done this repeatedly, is uh, do a significant narrative playing on the whole whole home selling piece with the humour and children, which is always a cute way of responding to anything. I I actually found it quite irritating, but as I said, I believe it was right up there in terms of the preferred ads of the night by uh, the general public. I think it got the highest satisfaction ratings or the highest likes of any ad. I mean, I, I thought it was it was quite a cute thing, and I, I, I have to be honest with you, I did have that He-Man uh, Castle Grey Skull set when I was a kid, so I was a little bit nostalgic as well. And I, I, I just, <laughs> I just thought it was a bit of fun. Actually, it was a really, a really fun way to sell something that is generally quite a dry thing to to try and advertise. Now, I have to ask both of you, and I know we always try to keep things very positive and constructive, so I'd, I'd sort of urge you to to be a bit kind. But were there any major flops that you noticed? Uh, I'll start off with you, Greg. Well, I would probably say the avocados from Mexico ad. They've been a very consistent Super Bowl advertiser, but uh, the day before the Super Bowl, uh, avocados got banned from Mexico. Um, so I think they may have wanted to relook at their strategy a little bit and uh, potentially uh, find some alternatives. <laughs> Tracy? I'm afraid I'm going to have to do the Uber Eats ad with Gwyneth and her vagina candle. <laughs> give, give us a bit of a description of that one. I don't think I can. <laughs> I think, I think, unfortunately for me, it was um, a little bit in the old, not innovative creativity. And uh, whilst clearly tongue-in-cheek was the overuse of a well-known celebrity delivering predictability. Yeah, I thought it was very predictable as well. I, I didn't find it as amusing as... Um, I'm sure Uber Eats would have liked me to. Um, but anyway, if you'd like to check out more coverage on the Super Bowl and its advertising, please do check out our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Thank you so much, Tracy and Greg, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alan. And also, thank you, Josie and Gideon, for joining us a bit earlier today. And a big thank you to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. If you'd like to find out more about Campaign AI, I'd highly recommend you visit our website and check it out. It really is quite a cool tool. If you enjoy this podcast, please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Acast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it for me. Um, on behalf of the campaign team, until next time, goodbye. Thank you to Critio for sponsoring this episode of the Campaign Podcast. Critio is creating an open internet where you can choose what's best for you and future you. Learn more at critio.com forward slash future.